Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with, well, uh, an empty chair, Carol Zernial, who is our regular co-host, is on special assignment today. So we're going to be flying solo as we welcome our guest, Dr. Sharon Thoreau. And it's an incredible topic, self-compassion. Dr. Thoreau is the founder and executive director of the South Florida Center for Mindfulness. She's a licensed psychologist and board-certified neuropsychologist, works in private practice since 1995, and as a therapist, she specializes in the treatment of individuals with depression, anxiety, chronic pain, eating disorders, and addictive behaviors. And boy, that doesn't leave much out. Dr. (laughs) Thoreau, thank you very much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Let's begin first with uh, what led you into uh, your focus on on compassion, on mindfulness, on uh, really helping oneself. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for having me here. And I think if I go back, I've been um, a therapist for like nearly 30 years, but I've only been teaching mindful meditation and uh, mindful self-compassion for the past 10 years. And I think that back I started searching for some type of a therapy for my patients that would help them to be less critical of themselves um, and others, because I think that judgment and is like an epidemic, you know, self-critical thoughts are, it's like an epidemic in our society. And I kind of stumbled upon mindful um, mindfulness, which is uh, John Kabat-Zinn, created the mindfulness-based stress reduction program about 30 years ago. And he defined mindfulness as just paying attention, but you're paying attention in a particular way. You're paying attention on purpose. You're paying attention in the present moment. And then you're paying attention with a particular attitude and an attitude that is curious and open-hearted but what attracted me to mindfulness is that it's a non-judgmental attention. So it's a, and it's a practice of, of being aware of what's going on within yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, your body sensations, but with this open-hearted curiosity instead of this criticalness. Uh, and I, so I started practicing mindfulness and I started to become less judgmental of myself less critical of myself. And I was like, oh, wow, I want to learn how to teach other people to do that. So I started, so that's how I got uh, trained in um, mindful, uh, in mindfulness. And I went through the University of Massachusetts Medical School, their training program to become a certified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. But then when it came to self-compassion, in my evolution and in becoming more aware of my critical thoughts, which mindfulness makes me made me painfully aware of, of how judgy and critical I am with myself, mindful self-compassion was a way to be able to deal with those critical thoughts 
in a much more compassionate way. And then it was another giant leap in my evolution once I started to become more compassionate with myself. So, and uh, so, yeah, that's why I'm very passionate about helping, especially other healthcare professionals to become. I was going to ask, uh, you know, mindfulness is a term uh, that has been around, as you point out, for 30 plus years. It's almost like nail salons around every corner. Everywhere you turn now, uh, you hear about mindfulness, uh, but most folks still have not connected or understood. And I want to back up to something you said that I think is fascinating. How are we critical and judgmental of ourselves? What what are the kind of of things we say? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, if you take the time to just monitor your thoughts, uh, over a five minute period of time, I would be willing to bet you that some of the thoughts that would come into your mind are what we call self-referential processing. And there's actually, that's our default mode net, uh, of processing when we're not focused on something. Our mind wanders off to, you know, how we do relative to other people uh, it, with respect to our daily activities. So an example of self-critical thoughts. So say I see a woman who's walking down the street and she's dressed in a, you know, she's dressed nice. And, you know, my, my, my habitual mind would say, oh, wow, uh, I, I'm always comparing, you know, myself to other people. Oh, well, she's prettier than me, or she's thinner than me, or, you know, or if I'm watching a television show and I see this you know, person who's talking, it's like, oh, they're smarter than me on that topic. And then once you, but it's, it's just in our nature to compare and it's actually adaptive for us to be able to compare ourselves with other people because we need to live in a society where everybody kind of gets along and, you know, we kind of coexist together. There's a lot of us here. We have to learn how to coexist. I'm just saying that sometimes we're comparing ourselves too much. And then you can get into the habit of saying, um, you know, oh, you're not pretty enough or you're not thin enough or you're you're not smart enough. Um, and when you do that, you go into this cycle of critical uh, self-evaluation. It can lead to depression and anxiety. Now, I know one of the things you do. And before we get to it, I want to remind folks who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron with our very special guest. Dr. Sharon Thoreau. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is on special assignment today. So Sharon and I are riding this railroad, just the two of us. I, I want to get back to uh, something that I saw in your background, which is so important. One of your specialties is helping people with eating disorders. And you mentioned in, in when we were talking about ways in which we uh, may put ourselves down, uh, you mentioned, oh, she's thinner than me, or she's thinner than I'll ever be, or I wish I could look like that. I've got a friend here in San Antonio, where, where I am, who has maintained, and I've known her for 40 years, that there is no such thing as too thin. <laughs> She's a woman, uh, well-proportioned, certainly not uh, too thin, not overweight, but is it more women than men who struggle with that self-perception of thinness? Mm, good question. Um, I think that uh, that men also uh, suffer with that those thoughts. 
but I think that in our society, there's much more emphasis on uh, and pressure in our culture for females to be thin uh, than males. So I do believe there is a higher percentage of women that, that struggle with that. And yeah, I, when I hear you say uh, that you have this, this friend who has this belief or has this thought that, you know, you can never be too thin. You know, I, I, I feel, I feel for that woman and because it's a prison to, 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 ha to be, to be in that belief. And you know what, if you're never too thin, it's like feel that can lead to feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. And it can actually lead to increase in eating behaviors because you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm never going to be able to, to reach, you know, my goals. So I might as well give up. But there is actually, I can tell you, and this is what I'm so excited to be able to, to share with people is that when we can just notice those thoughts, like you can never be too thin. Okay, that's a thought. But you know what? A lot of most of our thoughts are not facts. They're just thoughts that come in based on something we just saw or something we heard or something that we just read. Just let that thought go in and go out and refocus your attention back on the, the present moment. And when you can treat yourself with compassion, you can and you can actually eat better. There's research that shows that having this compassionate attitude towards yourself can actually help you to achieve the goals that you need to achieve, whether it be, you know, cigarette smoking or uh, uh, with weight control. And I, I, I personally have a little story that, you know, I could share um, sure. about how that happened with me. So I was going to a, a self-compassion class and, you know, cause I wanted to learn how to teach self-compassion. And in this class, uh, you're supposed to bring snacks and, you know, for the, cause that's a two and a half hour class. So I put some almonds in my, in my purse uh -huh. and I went to the class and we, we practiced and we were coming back. And I was with a colleague who, uh, was one of my, one of my instructors. And he always is telling me the things that we have to do for our company. You know, we need to get this marketing out, that marketing out. So on the way home, he's telling me, all these different things that we need that putting things on my to-do list, right? And I'm getting more and more stressed and more and more stressed. And when I get stressed, I get food cravings. And so as soon as he got out of the car, I dropped him off at his car. I went right for that bag of uh, almonds. And before I had it in my mouth, I was able to become aware of, oh my God, I just was triggered into eating mindlessly. So that's the first part is mindfulness, being aware of what you're doing the moment you're doing it. And then I learned something in self-compassion class. Oh, so when you notice what just happened, you were triggered, what just happened? Oh, this guy, this, this, this coworker was putting things more on my to-do list. I'm stressed out. My thoughts are like, when am I gonna have time to do all these things that he's telling me? I immediately did one thing that I teach in my self-compassion classes. I took my hand, and I placed it over my heart and I said something compassionate to myself. And I said, you know what? It's okay. You'll figure it out. It'll get done. And immediately the, the urges to eat those almonds, poof, they disappeared. 
because I was able to handle my stress in a more productive way. It was amazing. Did you ever eat the almonds? No, I kept them in my purse. They were there for the next time. Wow. And, and I have seen that happen. So there's two elements. First, it was mindfulness. I had to be aware that I was triggered and I was stressed. And then two, do something to soothe myself without, have, without resorting to food. And uh, yeah, so it really does work. But you have to have both. And it takes, it's important to practice both so that in those stressful moments, it's like you've got those, if you practice formally, whether you're practicing mindfulness or self-compassion, it's like putting money in a bank, your emotional reserves bank, so that you can draw on that whenever you're stressed. And so it's a superpower, I believe, that you can draw on when you're triggered, but you have to, you have to make those deposits in order to be able to use them whenever you're triggered. Now, one of the things I know some companies uh, practice uh, uh, for their employees is trying to get people to be here now, to be in the present, yep. to deal with what's in front of you, to leave everything else aside. And I've, I've tried to practice that. It's not easy. That's true. You would think it would be, but it's not. No. Because no. all that other stuff is all that other stuff. Yes. Yes. And a lot of people are under the misconception that when we practice mindfulness, that we're going to clear the mind of all the garbage. And, you know, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> the way I, I explain mindfulness to people is that, you know, it's just like if you liken your body to a car and your brain is like the engine. We're just lifting up the hood and seeing how your mind is working right now. Is it racing? And if it's racing, it's racing right now. We, I accept that. Th these thoughts are coming in. If it's peaceful, it's peaceful. It's just being accepting and allowing of however your mind is in, in the moment. Yes. So, Dr. Thoreau, as you think about uh, the work that you do, the teaching that you do, uh, the sharing that you do, we're going to come to that in just a moment, but first, we're going to do a little business at our end. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest, Dr. Sharon Thoreau. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is on special assignment today. This is Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you, it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. mentioned in a previous segment, Carol Zerniel and I were talking about the deep freeze that San Antonio uh, has been in. You're in Florida. We went through uh, a week that for this city uh, was unbelievable. We didn't have electricity for several days. We have three little kids. The temperature in the house plummeted to the mid-40s, uh, which is not comfortable. 
all the hotels were filled. So we brought the blankets out and tried to make the best of it. But as uh, Carol said, she has felt until she embraced mindfulness the other day that she's got a big foot pressed in the center of her chest, holding her down, stress. Hmm. And this self-compassion and approach to mindfulness relieve that kind of stress. I well, I, yes, I do believe that to be true, and and it's interesting that you know I was so honored to be doing these drop-ins at the same time that the that the um, the the weather problem happened in Houston, and you might and, explain for or, folks what you might explain what the drop-ins are. Yes, so I teach these. Um, mindful meditation drop-ins three times a day for like 30 minutes. Uh, and in these mindful meditation drop-ins, we do all kinds of meditations. We'll do awareness of the breath. We'll do body scans, but they're 30 minute drop-ins for people originally for well-med employees to be able to drop in. Um, and uh, even in their busy days, uh, Dr. George Rapier and they, they, they were able to allow their employees to take 30 minutes to drop in because they believe that it really helps uh, their employees to de-stress. And de-stressed employees are more productive employees and happier employees. So I had been doing this since last April when COVID hit. But then when this, uh, and most of my people who, who sign into my drop-ins are um, people from Texas. So when this cold snap happened in Texas, a lot of the people had been coming to the drop-ins uh, for months. And remember what, I, what we just discussed about uh, being able to, uh, when you practice formally, it's like depositing money in a bank. You're, you're in, into your emotional reserves bank to be withdrawn whenever you get stressed. And, you know, it, I was just so, it, it was just so rewarding for me to hear the stories uh, in these drop-ins. We always take the last 10 minutes to share like what the, the meditation was like for you and what you're noticing. And so these people would share, we've developed relationships with these people and they were telling us like, oh my God, I, I lost, you know, I lost uh, my water, my pipes burst. Um, you know, it was, I had to, uh, I had to get rid of my pride and I had to go to other people's homes that I didn't want to go to in order to keep my family safe and warm and all the struggles that they talked about. And they said, you know, if it hadn't been for mindfulness and being aware of my resistance, why don't I want to go away? Oh, it's just pride. Oh, well, I can do, I can overcome that. You know, let me just make that phone call, you know, or, and, and also there was another woman in Houston who said that, you know, when the ceiling dropped or the ceiling from her kitchen dropped in and, and plopped right down onto her kitchen table where she was doing her taxes. Wow. And, and she lost not her computer and all of the time, all of the papers that she had spent oh. preparing for the taxes. She said, you know what I thought? She goes, as a result of mindfulness, I thought when I thought, you know what? Yes, this is really bad, but you know what else is going on? I have my health. I have my brain. I can figure this out. Let me take a deep breath and let me start. That's so and, cool. 
It is. And I was like, oh, my God, I just and and she had been coming from, you know, day one, April. And so she had enough of those, you know, uh, that that of those deposits that she put in her emotional reserves bank to be able to stay grounded and to stay calm so that she can figure out what to do. It wow. Was, I was so I was just so um, it was so rewarding to hear them say that. I looked at uh, uh, the video every night of people in line uh, to get food and interviews with people who run food banks who said what well, what has been such a surprise are folks coming through with these expensive luxury cars, uh, the Mercedes and the upscale Cadillacs, who, when you talk to them, are very embarrassed. They have never had to go anywhere for food. And most of them have children. So uh, you talk about pride. It had to be a huge challenge. But you do it for your kids. Yep. Just acknowledging the fact that, oh, pride is here. Ego is here. Just acknowledging that that's the barrier. You, you can make that wise choice and say, okay, is my is my ego going to get in the way of, right. of, of, of protecting and, and helping my kids? And then you can easily say no. And then you, that you get out and you get, and you do what you got to do. Yes. Uh, speaking of food, let's switch gears. And before we run out of time, talk to me a little bit about people who struggle uh, with eating disorders, whether it's anorexia or bulimia or a combination thereof. Uh, we mentioned earlier that it's mostly women, not all. Do they know they have a problem? I think that it all depends on what level, you know, of awareness they have. I think that there are some people who are just stress eaters, and that's probably the biggest percentage of the population that has eating issues is that, you know, they come home from, uh, you know, or they, they, un, they log themselves out if you're working from home or you come home from the office and, uh, you go, you immediately go into the refrigerator or you go into the cupboard, you get a bag of chips, you plop yourself down in front of the television. And, you know, by the time, you know, 20 minutes goes, you've, eat, you've eaten a whole bag of chips and you're wondering what just happened, you know, and people, you know, are, a lot of people are, are eating as a result of being stressed and you get in the habit of using food to soothe yourself. So some people are not aware uh, some people, you know, with the result of weight gain, they are aware and then they try to go on diets and then diets don't work. They're only temporary fixes. So, so yes, that mindful eating has been a uh, relatively, well, they've been showing um, that over the past 10 years by actually allowing yourself to drop into the sensations of eating instead of you know, just mindlessly eating while you're watching TV or you're reading a book, that if you actually take the time to taste your food um, and savor your food and chew your food slowly, when you can do those things, eat mindfully, what you're actually doing is that you're sending signals to the brain that you are getting satisfied. And when you get satisfied, then your cravings tend to dissipate sooner. So it's mindful eating is like becoming a, you know, a, a big thing with respect to treatment. 
Um, I don't drink by choice, but uh, when I was drinking, uh, and one of the reasons I stopped drinking, I would come home uh, from work like you described, uh, and the first thing I would do is take that bottle of vodka out of the freezer and pour myself uh, probably too much vodka. I wasn't going anywhere, but uh, and that was an every night thing, which I didn't need. And so I finally decided, what, what am I doing this for? And so I just stopped drinking. Uh, mm-hmm. And the calories went away with that. A lot of calories in in, uh, in alcohol. We're about out of time. If folks want to get a hold of you, Dr. Thoreau, how do they do that? The, the best way to reach me uh, would probably be through uh, my website, which is uh, southfloridapsychology.com. That's easy, uh, southfloridapsychology.com. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Let's not confuse people with more. I like that. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. I'd like to get you back in a few months and uh, pick up this conversation if we can. I'd love that. And I'll tell Dr. Jamie Heisman, uh, you did him proud because he was sure bragging about you (laughs) earlier today when he and I were talking. You Uh, take care, Sharon. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Sharon Thoreau, what a great guest. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. I want to thank you all for joining us on Caregiver, SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.